Okay. The other week on the Tornado Cash episode, uh, you mentioned the concern that some people had that sanctioning code could be in some ways a violation of free speech. And I brushed it off. Quite furiously. You actually, you kicked me so hard in the shins (laughs) when I said that, that I actually started bleeding. Like it drew blood. I mean, I find the concept absurd, obviously, but I should explain why I do. And I'm going to do so right now, very quickly, um, because I did receive some feedback about that. On the internet right now, in the comments section of every website, they have spam filters. Well, because as people know, even right now, even with spam filters, there's so much fucking spam on any comment section of any website ever, especially if they don't have something filtering for spam. We're fine with the concept of someone's free speech of someone who writes a bot or a script posting random spam comments or affiliate links and for weird SEO purposes or for like some political purpose. We're totally fine with saying, no, we're going to censor those comments. Even like free speech advocates don't think that we should allow like random spam messages and comments to be thrown all over their internet because it would break the entire internet. Like the entire thing would be unusable. My point being, everyone kind of has a level at which free speech is not allowed. In that case, it's links to Viagra. Uh-huh. Or like streams for boxing matches. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like free speech absolutism doesn't exist. So that's my example of why we constantly are stopping people's free speech and stopping code as free speech all the time because it would make the whole world completely unusable. Is that fair enough? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> James. Raf, i got a question for you. Go on. What colour is your Bugatti? It's like pearlescent uh, rainbow. Pearlescent rainbow? So it's yeah. kind of like an oil slick, like yeah. the reflect of when there's like a, a petrol on the ground at the petrol station. Yeah, kind of. And it says hustler mindset. Okay, cool. Hashtag hustler mindset? No, nah, just hustler mindset. Cool. Yeah. What about yours? I don't have a Bugatti, actually. I drove a Hyundai Gets. Fair enough. I don't actually have a Bugatti either. I drive a Skoda Kodiak. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, I think we both have very sensible cars. <laughs> Today, we are talking about. Uh, Mr. Bugatti himself, the top G, a gentleman by the name of Andrew Tate, who inserted himself into the world's consciousness over the past few months. But you you tell me you hadn't seen him before everyone started talking about him. Yeah, well, I mean, last week we were discussing doing this episode. Subsequently, he's come risen to more prominence. I'm not that across like internet culture, I guess. So the only way Andrew Tate came across my radar is people talking about him, the reaction to, and because it was someone I'd never heard of, you know, my eyes just glaze over and I scroll past, but he obviously became more and more prevalent and apparently he was impossible to to miss. To shake, yeah. Uh, so some context for the probably the few remaining people on this pod who have not been exposed to Andrew Tate in some way. He is a former kickboxing champion, British-American guy, Weird accent. Straight, yeah, weird fused accent who basically became overnight, essentially, the new face of kind of like the manosphere Mm. online. So everyone kind of knows what this is, sort of like the, they used to call it like men's rights activists. I think that term has been not used quite as much anymore. But basically it's the guys who are, their target audience is mostly young men, some teenagers, the guys in their 20s, telling them to, you know, pull their socks up start working out, seize the day, Yeah, hate women. 
Yeah. You know the sort of the playbook. There's been a bunch of them. You know, there was like, you know, Milo Yiannopoulos, there was Ben Shapiro. He was kind of maybe not quite like that, but his politics sort of stuff was adjacent. Jordan Peterson yeah. obviously was the big one a few years ago, mm-hmm. and there's been other ones along the way. But Andrew Tate was the guy right here, taken to an absolutely like clownish degree. Yes. Where his stuff is just like... He just gets up and says stuff like, you know, eating sushi is gay. If you hold a a bottle of water for longer than 10 seconds, that's also gay. Basically. Sunglasses indoors. Sunglasses indoors, never wear a shirt, smoke cigars. He runs some sort of sweatshop for OnlyFans models. Like they say that he had his house raided for like sex trafficking in Romania. Anyway, he lives in Romania now. That's great. For sus reasons is the implication that I get on the internet. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a lot of law there that I don't think is super important. Um, But. (laughs) But the main thing is that he suddenly became popular because he infiltrated everyone's algorithmic feeds. Whether mm. you were whether you were watching, you know, Instagram Reels, whether you were watching TikTok, whether you were watching YouTube, the algorithms of these platforms were just pumping Andrew Tate content mm. down everyone's throats. And basically, what what that looked like was mostly podcast appearances that he had done on other podcasts in this sort of like constellation of like right wing dudes. Mm where he would be saying the things I was just, you know, I was just talking about, about, you know, women or property, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, coronavirus scam. I don't know if he did COVID. No, he did. I, I watched, oh. I've been watching a few now. I've been oh, okay. catching up. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, actually, you know what? I do know the way like government about. is controlling you. You That's know, right. be yeah. a free thinker. That's uh, right, yeah. Be a free thinker and just watch hours and hours and hours of Andrew Tate content. But how did he do it? Yeah, so- He hacked the algorithm. Yeah, so he hacked the algorithms and did something- which pushes it into the territory of down round, basically. Mm. He was running what is was essentially yeah, kind of smart, if like a little bit evil, content pyramid scheme, essentially. <laughs> what Andrew Tate was doing is he was running a – he ran like a self-help program for dudes called Hustlers University. <laughs> so, you know, this is part of the like the right-wing Manosphere dude playbook. So you tell dudes they got to – Get better. Wash your penis. Yeah, well, <laughs> you need to wash your penis. And to do that, most effectively, sign up for something they're offering. Mm. You know, whether they're selling like nootropics and like other things like that, or they will always have like some sort of online course. That was the the line that Andrew Tate pursued with Hustlers University. Mm. Um, and basically, what Hustlers University taught you to do, I'm pretty sure it had like a some sort of vague pickup artist element, but it was mostly about how to make money, and it was like through all sorts of things like. Obvious ones like his how to invest in stocks and cryptocurrency mm. and had like tips for both, but also had like his how to get into the copywriting game. And here it's like you can return to like Bronze Age mindset by writing like sparkling ad copy. <laughs> 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 but how to run affiliate marketing, you know, all these sort of like modern ways of making money on the internet. Mm, drop shipping, I assume. Drop shipping was, was on there. Yeah. Like all that kind of stuff. Um, again, so weird that this is kind of like this is how you be a man in 2022. You just sit on your laptop and like order stuff from Alibaba and send it to people. But the way that he he made it work is it had an affiliate marketing component where you as a member of Hustlers University could get discounts on the program or paid a small amount if you went out there and shared Andrew Tate's content. With links back to Hustlers University. So if people click through from his from the content you were sharing and signed up for Hustlers University, you got discounts, you got a small amount of money. Mm. Um and there were all kind of like all these clips, all these podcast clips that people have been exposed to constantly over the past few months were all in like a Google Drive or something. The way that it worked is that from my personal example, I was seeing like literally once every two videos on TikTok was like Andrew Tate talking about, I don't know, his Bugatti or 
various things at a gay. <laughs> and um, if I blocked an account because I was like, I don't, I really want to, don't really want to see this guy, another one would spring up mm. with a different username. And it turned out it was just all these, I guess, 20-year-old guys are all members of Hustlers University trying to make a buck or a saving on their, on their membership. So all of a sudden he became the most Googled man on the planet. Mm. His clips were seen. I think the stat quoted in one of the reports was something like his content on, I think, YouTube alone had been viewed over 12 billion times. He's the new baby shark. Exactly, yeah. And um, all these secondary stories came up about, you know, teachers in schools were freaking out because all these, like, seven-year-old kids were just, like, quoting Andrew Tate clips. Yeah. And the latest update, which is now everywhere, is that he shut down Hustlers University because all the platforms, you know, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, decided to clamp down on his videos and like manually stop them from showing up in people's feeds mm. and making the the affiliate program essentially not work. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't think Hustlers University is shutting down just the affiliate program. Yeah, right, because basically the platforms are able to to silence him. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of free speech. Well, now, so the ones I'm seeing now are, other right-wing fears being like, this is why they wanted to shut him down. And it was, you know, they're like the speaking thing. truth about COVID and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. More broadly, though, this brings up once again that issue of, okay, you have a guy, sus guy, saying some relatively heinous stuff. I mean, I'm sure if you look it up, like there's some bad stuff, not good folks. Um, <laughs> but once again, we're kind of relying on these platforms to shut it down. Like if you agree that he should be shut down or at least not amplified, we're relying on kind of the platforms to do the policing for us. How do you feel about that? For me, it's like a the, it's like a multi-part problem. The fact is mm-hmm. that the free speech question is obviously one thing. And, you know, there's a really simple free speech argument you can have, which is whether it's a private company or public space or whatever, people should be allowed to sort of say things that are, that are legal. Like, obviously, they shouldn't be able to advocate for serial murder or, or whatever, or mm. but they should be able to say whatever. But then that question becomes so complicated when it's not just here's a guy who has set up a TikTok account and is saying heinous shit, mm. which, you know, in my opinion, who cares? Yeah. It's more like here's a guy who has figured out one weird trick <laughs> to become literally the most viewed man on the planet by, like, fucking around with the algorithms. Yeah. Obviously, like, we have no choice but to allow the the platforms to kind of, like, clamp down on that because it's, like, that's their problem. Isn't no, it? no, totally. It's, like, it's, it's, the same, it's the same as if, like, a hacker had gotten into their servers or whatever. Well, yeah, if, if the user experience, like you were saying, your user experience was terrible on TikTok. Yeah, exactly. So, obviously, TikTok, from an objective perspective, like, it's the same if, I don't know, some weird sport, Kabaddi, was just dominating your feed and you had no interest in Kabaddi. They'd want to be like, we got to fix this algorithm thing. Yeah, totally. So there's that kind of element, which I think makes it like less of a free speech thing and more of like, as you say, a pure sort of customer experience one. Mm. Obviously, it's like a PR disaster for TikTok if like there are all these parents, like my seven-year-old son is walking around the house saying that sparkling water is gay or something. Wait, isn't he the opposite? Actually, we had this conversation the other day. I can't actually remember what he stands. He has a very strident opinion on sparkling water, <laughs> but I can't remember. If, I can't remember if he's stridently pro sparkling water or stridently anti. I think he's pro. I think the idea the idea is that water is only for hydration. Mm. So if you're doing it like in a leisure recreationally, context, if, you, if you're using water recreationally, it's got to be the sparkly stuff. I'm pretty sure that's his that's his stance. And obviously, you know, I have no problem. I'm a big sparkling water fan. I have no problem. As am I. I have no I have no problem with like 20 year old dudes being told that that's what life's all about. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, stuff. tragic. The worst person you know makes great point. Yeah? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So the thing that I find so interesting on like a cultural level. You know, everyone talks about algorithms are kind of like 
the beating heart of culture now, mm. right? And I find it so interesting that someone can like surf algorithms to like global be in the brain of everyone on the planet. Mm. I think the stuff that he says is highly objectionable. I think it's like, but as I said before, it's so clownish and stupid that like it just doesn't deserve to be. Yeah, well, hence why it appeals to like 10-year-olds, literally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And edgy teens and stuff. It's part of that whole genre where you have edgy younger males, which is a broader, I think, societal issue is that younger men feel alienated and totally, yeah, absolutely. they have no positivity and like youth suicide is through the roof and blah, 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 blah. And they don't see any future and they don't feel anything. And so they get to say something edgy on Xbox Live. Like they say the N-word on Xbox Live and people get mad at them and they actually feel something. But once yeah. they feel something. Yeah, too. And all they need is like some guy to say, you know, you have value. Yeah. And obviously they dress it up with a bunch of other stuff. And, you know, as shitty and awful as Andrew Tate is, at least he's kind of like a shredded kickboxer or whatever, as, <laughs> a, as opposed to like Jordan Peterson, who's just like this weird old benzo addict who cries all the time. <laughs> if I was about to do an impression, bro, I'm not going to do that. Um, but the other side of it is that like the algorithms can like amplify these people to such an insane degree within certain demographics. So when I first started getting served absolute shitload of Andrew Tate content, mm. I just tweeted like one night at like 10 o'clock before I went to bed. So I was writing something about on it for the newsletter. Real the terminal heads will know I've written about this. I just fired off a tweet that was like, hey, has this guy crowbarred himself into everyone's feeds as much as he has mine? And I went to bed and I woke up in the morning and I had like 15,000 retweets. Mm. And it was all these dudes being like, yes, and it's like the most annoying thing in the world. Mm. And a bunch of his fanboys were also replying. But then there was a whole bunch of women that were like, no. Yeah. Because <laughs> obviously it, whatever TikTok's like weird Byzantine algorithm is doing, it's, it's doing it based on, you know, whatever bucket it puts you in. Yeah, yeah. And and you, you I mean, obviously you don't consume too much content. No, it didn't didn't cross my yeah. path. And I, I asked my partner and she had never seen him when I was only seeing him. People talk about like, you know, oh, the alt-right or the right-wing rabbit hole that people go down or like the pipeline, mm. you know, where you're just getting served algorithmic content. And I think, you know, there's like value to that view. But there's also the fact that it's like, my content universe is so different to the person next to me mm. and I can see someone so often and have be exposed to them and just like know everything about these weird characters that get put in my on my like dashboard mm. or in front of me and then I can just talk to like someone who I'm really good friends with and they'll be like, I have absolutely no idea yeah, what you're the fuck about. are you talking about. We talk about like the dead, like the monoculture is dead. Mm. We don't have big cultural moments apart from like the new Game of Thrones show or whatever. Yeah. Um, I watched that last night. It was okay. And the slap incident. The sl- yeah, exactly, the slap incident, yeah. People people need these, these little signposts to these things to latch onto. But as we, yeah, that's just what I find so weird about like algorithmic culture is how like everyone is in their own little buckets. And that is also just fueled by, as you say, pure engagement and an algorithm rather than – you can obviously have subsects of culture and always have where people have different interests, but you usually have like producers uh, – also responsible for the distribution. And by that, I mean, you know, Gucci has an audience of people and customers that they're producing for and also to a certain extent responsible for the distribution. But in this world, you have these random producers of culture that are uploading their content and then algorithms are basically deciding. I say algorithms. Algorithms based on human engagement are deciding kind of what takes hold. But the fact that it's far more opaque and you don't really have like, you know, Gucci have their relationships with networks and with department stores, et cetera, et cetera. And this very obvious chain of distribution, whereas TikTok wouldn't really be able to tell you why you're seeing Andrew Tate and I'm not. It's it's happening with so much content, 
so many different demographic points that it's nearly impossible to really work out why. Yeah. And especially like now that, um, as we talked about in the previous episode, all these platforms like Instagram, whatever, are trying to like get away from basically it's like a shift from like stated preferences mm. to revealed preferences. Forget about the stuff you say you like. We'll just give you a fire hose of shit we think you'll like. Mm. This stuff is only going to get more like pronounced in the future that you're only going to, you're going to get your own little blinkered universe of shit that they want you to see. We had this conversation around like when Trump got elected or whatever. Yeah. When it was like, oh, people are stuck in their filter bubbles. Mm. And I feel like it's like a deeper and weirder and like different problem now. Yeah, well, it's not like Democrats and Republicans are seeing different content. How will they ever align? It's like these micro bubbles. Yeah, these like micro bubbles of just taste and people. Someone who could be like the most famous person in the world to you because you see them so often mm. and nobody else knows who the hell they are. I don't know. You see it, you see it play out a little bit in some of like the traditional markers of culture. Like when you see that like, you know, Bad Bunny or whatever is the absolute number one streamed artist in the universe right now. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm old now. But like also you don't get exposed to that so much through like mainstream television and mm. whatever. No, totally. It's a it's a weird world. Weird, sick, sad world. Yeah, it's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, world's fucked, lol. That was one of my meme accounts actually. It did pretty well. Nice. Shut it down. Got too hot. I just didn't want to be part of the problem. That's right, exactly. 